<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Sam Sam, I just want to first say that you look beautiful. That white is shining off of you like a diamond, shining bright like a diamond. Can I say something that I I don't think I've ever said to another man? Come on. You've got a great smile. You do. I, <laughs> I you appreciate do. Your, that. Your smile is like, that can't be, I've got to be the 10th person to say that the, just this morning. This morning, that's right. <laughs> your smile is like a thing. That is like your thing. <laughs> it's well, the dude, it's a shame that this is a podcast. <laughs> we should. This one should just be a Guys, video. Guys, if y'all can see Sam, it's intimidating. I'm just, that's, that's how I'm going to call it. It's a, it's, a, it's a strong, strong smile. <laughs> you got a lot to be happy about, right? Well, it's it's funny. I so I talk about the that's the smile. It's not the first time I heard about it. I talk about it in my book. So let the world see you. The book I just released right before Christmas. Yep. Yeah. I saw so I, I play in the NFL. I'm I'm one of the guys who negotiates. I was negotiating the collective bargaining agreement with the NFL Jeez, owners. Oh please. yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's like you got like billionaire owners. Like 60, 70 year old like guys like Jerry Jones and Clark Hunt, right. like these yeah. owners of teams, yeah, yeah. Art Rooney. And I'm supposed to be this big, bad, you know, tough guy. And I tried. I tried. Like, I really did. I was like mean mug, just like looking angry. You know, what I, I, were the players thinking sending you in there? You know what I mean? I don't think they knew. I'd Actually, be like, you know, we can't send him in there. His smile's too good. My calling card was this. I said, guys, 
we have some people who are who are going to be negotiating that are going to be real like tough and hard and you know stay on the line. But you need some balance. You need mm. some balance. You know, some you know, be able to some, uh, to be amicable. And so, but my goal was to just like real like firm handshake, not laughing, not jo- just I'm gonna. Mm. You know, if right. I only could just. <laughs> and so I thought I was doing that. I thought I was doing that. And halfway through our first <laughs> meeting, we take a, like we take like a, a bathroom break, right? All right, we'll break. You know, everybody go to the restroom. I'm in the restroom with one of the owners. We're both easing ourselves, if you will, at the urinal. Sure. And this dude looks at me, one of the owners, the guy I'm negotiating against, and he's like, you know what, Sam? And I look at him like a little bit startled. Mm. He said, he said, you have the greatest smile. Mm. Which really is in the top 10 things you want to hear a man say to you at a urinal. <laughs> at a urinal. <laughs> you have the greatest smile. And my response, my response, I said, I get it from my mom. I said, I know I get it from my mom. <laughs> and we, we actually had this really like cool, actually a deep conversation about like about like faith and about wow. background and about it was it was interesting because he i said he said oh yeah tell me, your parents must be great and i was like yeah they're from nigeria and we kind of went on and on and you know yeah. i told him how my dad was a uh uh he was on top of a bus I, the picture i have in nigeria my parents are first generation they were born and raised in nigeria came to america apparently there were some missionaries who were going over to nigeria to like tell people about jesus and god right. and all these things and then they saw him and apparently he was on top of a bus, like playing his guitar and like preaching the gospel to people. And they were like, dude, we need you to come to us. Like, can you? And so I was telling this guy about how my dad, you know, like that's how they came to America and whatever. And so we were just talking about like faith and about like love and journeys in this Jeez. like five minute. And then we like walked back together uh, to, to the, to the, you know, and this is supposed to be my enemy, right? But we're right. walking back together to the, to the meeting room and, and so anyways, the smile that I tried to hide, and unfortunately, and I guess it was, I mean, we, you know, I, I, we're not super close now, me and this guy, but I've developed some relationships with some of these people who I thought uh-huh. were my enemies. So yes, the smile does come in handy. It gives you away, man. Your poker face <laughs> is toast. It does. It gives me away. It gives me away. <laughs> okay, so here's, we're going to do your intro, Sam, and just buckle up, because this is where we get to brag on you. Okay, so Sam Acho, is it, it's Acho. It's Acho. Acho. Yeah, it is. Hello, Acho boy. Sam Acho <laughs> is an NFL, nobody's ever said that to you, I'm sure, is <laughs> an NFL player. Not with that intonation. <laughs> Thank it was, you. I've never Thank heard you. that. That's all, <laughs> oh, I wanted that so bad. You don't understand how much I wanted that to land. I wasn't even going to say it, because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be the guy that says <laughs> yeah. the 10,000. Time. We vapor rock scissor to see who got to say that this morning. Yeah. That one. Okay. Uh, is an NFL player, writer, public speaker, and humanitarian. Uh, speaks widely at colleges, events, conferences, and churches. Also co host of the podcast Relevant is doing a sports podcast, which is wonderfully straight to the point. The founder and president of Athletes for Justice. He is a vice president of the NFL Players Association, which you were just speaking to, and a graduate of the <laughs> University of Texas, go Longhorns, and the Thunderbird School of Global Management. And I want to say, Quickly, first, Thunderbird School of Global Management is the best name for a school I've ever heard in my life. And yeah. it sounds like Transformers are your classmates. Um, <laughs> it was our logo. There was a Transformer that was our, our, our mascot. It was like, it was like a bird. It's like the bird. Oh, yeah. It was like the, with the wings, you know, and then yeah, it could go in. It was really cool. <laughs> the thing that I want to add to this, which is already so amazing and impressive. Um, this, this to me is the, is the coup de grace of this during the senior year, the sporting news, but when you were at, at Texas named you one of the 20 smartest, smartest, did you like the irony of me not being able to pronounce smartest? 
Smartest, smartest <laughs> athletes in sports. A list that included two other college players and 17 professionals from the four major sports. That's amazing. Early in your rookie year, also Bleacher Report rated you as one of the 10 smartest players in the NFL. Um, in a 2016 AOL article, six NFL players with genius IQs. You're noted to be fluent in three languages, English, Spanish, and Igbo. 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 Oh, so it's – okay, okay. I mean, I, I just showed all of my cards immediately. <laughs> and John and I were talking I, – I, I, like, I think you may be the smartest person that's been on this podcast, which is immediately intimidating. Like, your I'm voice, already like – Your oh, voice gosh. is immediately intimidating. You started the podcast by singing. <laughs> well, I don't so, – let's don't make this about me, Sam, but we can for a second. You know, I do have some music out for those who are listening. No, um <laughs> – that that is insane. I mean, what a list of of accomplishments, not to mint tied up in this bow of of MP, like a superior intellect. Yeah, well, no, it's funny. Like I think about some of those lists, and I don't even like I don't even I knew about the the top twenty smartest one, right? But yep. the genius IQ and all the other ones, I don't, I don't, I didn't know about all those things, <laughs> and I still wonder where did they get these lists from now? Now, like there are certain things like my claim to fame, if you my claims to fame. If you will, so I could, you know, pie, right? I can recite pie to the fourteenth decimal, right? Oh, like God. I just, for yeah. whatever reason, get sure. out of here. Yeah. Sure. get out of there with that. Right. Of course, uh, I can tell you about <laughs> chocolate. There's, I love um, apple. Um, there's a lot of pies I can recite, but I no, run no, out no, of no. three like or four. The, like the circumference. Oh like, yes, of course. And the ratio of a yeah, circle. Yeah, don't, right. don't, don't, you're so flexing now. You're flexing. And, then, <laughs> and like, so there's that, and then I could do some Shakespeare and some Canterbury Tales in Middle English, and and so, anyways, like there's certain things that. I just, I just remember, you know, and so, and so I think that's why, that's where they get it from. Is that, so is that a familial thing? Not necessarily. I know my, my, my parents are, both my parents are doctors, right? So my. Oh, geez. Okay. Right. And the funny thing about my mom, my dad got his PhD when I was young and he's a marriage counselor. He has a PhD in psychology. My mom was a nurse. It was a, a registered nurse. Then she became a nurse practitioner. And then when we have, we have, I have three siblings, so there's four kids. After all of us graduated high school and went into college, she went back to school to get her doctorate in nurse practitioning. So for Nigerian families, education is everything. And so in a a way it is familial education, education, education. But for me, I just really love, like, I I love learning. I talk about it. Mm. I talk about it all the time. It's like, yeah, football is one of my skills, but learning is my passion. I love learning Mm. whether it's about people or literature or pie and not sweet potato pie. Like, you know what I mean? I love learn, you know, and so I'll, I'll learn about some sweet potato pie too. So that's just one of the things that I love to do. And, and so, so that's, that's a little bit where it comes from. So there is, yeah. Okay. I mean, when you have two parents that are doctors, there's obviously a, a pedigree there for sort of like the, the, uh, the, the, the brain flex in that family. So, so you, so this is fascinating to me and John and I were talking about this too. Like this is, this is so fun. We've had another, uh, Aloe Black was on our, uh, podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago and he's from another family that, that had, you know, settled in the States and, uh, but you're so so they can't like they are first generation. They came from Nigeria Absolutely. to the states, born and raised in Nigeria. They came in there. They were in they were in their early twenties, late twenties. Came to America, and they were the first ones here. Started a family, figured it out. They had other friends who had come from Nigeria to America. Initially, my dad was in Virginia, and anybody who knows Virginia, he was going to a school called Liberty. And yeah. anyone who knows Virginia, it's snowing and it's cold. And he was like, bro, I'm from Nigeria. What am I, what is, what is this? And so he, there are some friends who are like, bro, I'm in, like, bro, come to Texas. 
come to Dallas, come to Austin. Some other people who had just moved for, to America will we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And so that's how they came to Dallas. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. And so, so that's them. Now, my wife, my wife was, is also first generation. She was born and mm. raised in Nigeria. Oh, my So we oh, met okay. every year I go on these medical mission trips with my family. We met at 15 years old. My wife was, it wasn't my wife at the time, but this young woman had moved from the city she was living in called Joss mm -hmm. to the village to help take care of my grandmother. My grandma was sick and wasn't doing well, had some, you know, some issues. And the long and short of it is this young, this young girl, her, her, her dad had died mm -hmm. when she was young and she had five other siblings. So her mom was just trying to figure it out. For sure. So all the different siblings would stay with different family members and whatever. And so an opportunity arose to go and help out this, this guy's mom, right. The, you know, who ended up being my grandmother. And so she moved from the city to the village. When she was 15, I go on this trip to Nigeria for the first time on this medical mission trip. When I'm 15, I wasn't spitting game by any means, you know what I mean? But, like, she was beautiful. She, I was yeah. like, this girl's beautiful. And I'm like, but you're 15. It's like, I mean, everybody, I mean, in a lot of ways. You know. So I would go year after year, and I would see her, and she would, and it was just, I would see her, and I would just kind of take note. Well, fast forward to my second year in the NFL. I go with one of my teammates. His name is Calais Campbell. He's 6'8", 300 pounds. He's a pro bowler. He's been the Walter Payton Man of the Year for Jeez. the NFL. Great. He was, in my, he was in the wedding. He came with me, and he was, you know, like dudes, like, you, like, man, like, this is like my dream woman. Like, he knew that stuff about me. Then he saw this young girl. At that point, we're both about 22, 23 at the time, this girl and I. And she says, he lands on the, he land, we land in Nigeria, he sees her. He says, bro, who is that? She is beautiful. Are y'all related? And I'm like, you're like, we're about you, to be, you know what I mean? You know, what I mean? <laughs> you, the whole flight is a 14 hour flight. The whole flight. He'd been telling me about this girl who he was really attracted to. Oh we want to start. And so he, he lands. He's like, oh, she's, she's bad, man. Like, is that, are y'all related? And I'm like, bro, chill out, man. I thought you just had this other. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm talking about for you. Oh, uh, yes. And I'm like, so no. During, the, yeah. during these seven years in between, are you guys like writing emails or well, letters no, or because keeping in I, touch? I literally would just go for two weeks for that medical mission yeah. trip. I go for two weeks. We wouldn't even really talk because she was always yeah. like working and grinding, right? Like she was like, her and my dad became really close. Her and my mom became really close. She was just like doing a thing, taking care of the house, taking care of everything, just, just doing her thing. And I would yeah. be doing my thing. And then even I would go over, you know, our family would go for Christmas and New Year's to see relatives. And I would still see her, but we never spoke, never said more than like five words. Mm. And then on that trip with Calais, with my teammate, he says, what are you waiting for? Wow. He said, you put her in America, she'll go to bat with the best of them. What are you talking about? Like, she's right. beautiful. She's smart. Your family loves her. Come on. And so he actually like pushed me in a lot of ways. And so we, we, we exchanged numbers. I went back to America because I had a season, a football season to, mm -hmm. to play. And that was a time where we started doing the, like, trying to write letters or yeah. doing, yeah, call, we tried to call, but, like, it's hard. If anyone has ever called overseas, like, it could, yeah. they charge you an arm and leg. So we got this, there was this app kind of thing where you could call right. for cheap. And so anyways, and it's an eight-hour time difference. I was living in Arizona. She was living in Nigeria. So Jeez. it'd be, like, midnight, I'd call her, and, it, and she's waking up. Or like at four or five after practice, I'm calling her before she goes to sleep. So we we made it work that way. Mm. So, yeah. so do you? What do you think? How long do you think you'd have waited if he hadn't spurred you on? Oh, dude, I, I'd have been sitting here single <laughs> right now. Really? Yeah, dude, I was a punk. I was a punk. I was like super scared and shy, and I I always felt like a little kid 
in this big man's body. I'm, I'm six foot three, 260 pounds. And now it's different, but even growing up high school, like freshman year, I was 225. Right. Before. And I hadn't lifted a weight. I was just a big kid. Yeah. And so, but I, but I was a big kid. I felt like this little Mm. kid. I didn't know how to talk to girls. I didn't, I didn't, it just wasn't. And so funny enough, Every year we go on this trip, usually my brother and I come. My brother, Emmanuel, he did the mm-hmm. Uncomfortable Conversations mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. Black Man. He's on mm-hmm. Fox Sports 1, hosts this show. He usually comes with me. And for whatever reason, well, the reason was that he was going into his first year in the NFL. So we had training camp and stuff. He didn't go this year. And Calais did. If Emmanuel would have gone, Emmanuel was my roommate usually. And so usually that's not even, a, we're not even talking yeah. about any, it's like, bro, we got, let's chill. But Calais was my roommate that year. And so Calais was actually encouraging me to move forward. We were, you know, he's, we land, he sees her. She's beautiful. You know, are y'all related? I say, dude, chill out. I give him the stiff arm. And then he's like, you got to talk to her, talk to her, talk to her. And I was scared. I was scared. Well, finally, one, about three days into her, it's like a 10-day trip, three, four days into the trip, I get a knock on our door at like 6 a.m. in the morning. And it's Calais and I are rooming together. It's our 6 a.m. wake-up call. Every morning we'd wake up. We'd do like a morning devotional before we went out to the mission field. Like we'd pray, we'd sing, whatever. And usually different people would do the wake-up calls. But this time it was that knock was from this young woman. Hello. 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 And so she says, hey. And I open the door and Calais is right behind me. She says, hey, just giving you all the wake-up call. We got, you know. Breakfast will be ready in 30 minutes, whatever. We got devotion. I said, okay, great, like, cool, oh, thanks. You caught me with my shirt off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, well, I'll, I'm like, I'm closing the door. And she's like, and oh, by the way, I'd love to talk to you sometime today if you get a chance. And I'm like, I, yeah, I could talk. In the words, words are good. Yeah. I, and Calais in the back is like, oh, she likes you. She likes you. And I'm like, dude, chill out. Uh, yeah. I call her over. We have, like, Ngazi and I have this mini conversation. And my, wife's name, my wife's name is Ngazi. Mm. Ngazi and Ngazi mm-hmm. means blessing in English, right? So oh, wow. the Igbo word is Ngazi, the English word, but blessing. And so we have this mini conversation, realize we had a lot of similar likes and dislikes, but that was kind of it. And so the next morning she knocks on the door, hey, let's talk. And I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> well then so like we 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 go, you know, a couple hours later, we're out on the mission field doing our thing. We finally find a time to like where things were slow. I say, hey, we, I kind of, we kind of find like a quiet room in the kind of tucked away in the corner. We sit down and I say, <laughs> I say, so, uh, Can so what do you want? we talk? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I, well, me being a punk, I was like, so what do you want to talk about? Right, what do you want to, you said you want to talk, what do you want to talk about? And my wife, this, this young girl says, I think I like you. Oh, dang. She's just putting it out there. Putting it out there, bro. And she's the most, and Gazi's the like most reserved, laid back, like chill. But for, I think I like you. And I was like, oh, okay, yep. Yeah, um, I like, leak like too. I, yes, I like you too. I think I like, I, you know. And then, I, so then I say, well, so then what, now that that's out there, right? Like, what do we do next? I like you too. What do we do next? And her response blew me away. Cause anybody who knows me knows I'm a, I got, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like I'm like going to church, singing, praising, worshiping, trying to tell people about God. Her response, she turns around, she says, I think we should pray. Dang. And I'm like, you know, I was, I thought. <laughs> no, I was about to, to say. You know, and, and so, like, we, we, we had that conversation. Uh, a couple of days later, I had a convo with my dad. Soon after, he went up to my mom. He said, you'll never believe what <laughs> yeah. happened. <laughs> Prayers have been answered. Oh, well, I'm telling you. And so now seven years and three kids later, 
we are in America. Jeez. Yeah. So, so you guys got married in 2013. Yes. And then you had to you came back to the states. I came back to the states, but but here let me paint the picture. So it was a Nigerian wedding. Nigerian weddings, more than anything, are um, betrothals, if you will. It's like a glorified. Uh -huh. It's like a big engagement party. So there were two thousand yeah. people. Oh my gosh! Yes, in a village. It was in a village. Literally everyone. So it, put it this way: my dad is super well known in that village because yeah. he's been doing work for thirty years. I'll, let me just let's just say it this way. I was on the doing the medical mission work the year after I talked to Ngazi, getting ready for this Nigerian wedding. We were there, like, do the work for a week, wedding the last day. And I'm sitting there kind of outside talking to people, you know, the whole deal. And one random dude who I've never met before, Nigerian dude, he says, okay, okay, are you, are you Dr. Acho's son? I'm like, yeah, that's me, Dr. Acho's son. Okay, are you the one getting married? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting married. He said, okay, I will be at the wedding. I'm like, bro, nobody invite. Who do you, what do you mean? Like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And that's the thing. Every wedding, every funeral, whatever the event is, everyone shows up in the church, the whole deal. Johnny. Dave. Nothing beats a good cup of joe in the morning. Uh, right? You can say that again, Dave. Okay, I mean, nothing beats a good cup of joe in the morning. Oh, you, sorry. I don't it was, take, yeah, no, you didn't actually have to say okay, it. No, well, there it was. So just the other day, I had the best coffee I've tasted in a while. Oh, don't tell me you ordered the triple venti half-sweet non-fat caramel macchiato again. No, no, I didn't. That, we call it the Mickey Mouse. It's actually, <laughs> I brewed a pot using methodical coffee. Methodical roasts their coffee to best express the life it lived, the place, the weather, the soil, and to honor the skilled people who cultivated it. Respect the bean, Dave. Come on. That sounds a lot better than that caramel macchiato thing. Yeah, the I Mickey mean, Mouse. Thank you. I was going to yeah. say, let's call it what it is. Methodical offers a wide variety of flavor profiles that range from the classics that are bold and chocolatey, contemporary that are medium-bodied and fruity, all the way to the avant-garde that push conventions. Okay, now where can I get this delicious coffee? It means a lot that you ask that. It really does. Visit methodicalcoffee.com for more information and use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. So let's go back because this is such a significant part of your story. Your parents come to the States. What is it like growing up? Because there's so many things that I think are so fascinating about that. One, that you have parents that aren't from America. So they're, they're doing their version of settling into Dallas, as you said. But then you got siblings who are growing up American. And not to mention, but y'all are some big boys. <laughs> so, so there's so many things to me that are so cool and unusual about that because it's not like you had this soft entry into America and you're doing your school. Like you guys are playing sports, like you're really doing well at sports. And that's not a sport for the most part in Nigeria. Like, you know, football in Africa is soccer. So, so there's a lot of indoctrination into a new culture, I would assume, for this family. So what is it like for y'all growing up? The way I put it, we grew up. Yes, we grew up in America, but we grew up in a Nigerian household. Mm. So we played by Nigerian rules. <laughs> so what I mean by that is when it came to like respecting your parents, mm. there was no talking back. There was no like, no, I want this, mom. It was like, bro, you better eat. It's eat, 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 eat what is in the front of your face. You know, like I'm like, okay, I will eat it. You know, um, I can remember That's one time. That's why y'all are so big. I'm telling you, dude. I remember one time at school, I went to this, like, it was like a college prep school, like super preppy school. And some of the, and, you know, parents pick you up or you might be late. They might be late, whatever. One of the, one of the kids, I'm 10, 10 years old. So fourth, fifth grade. 
one of the kids' mom happened to be late. One of the kids' moms happened to be mom happened to be late to picking the kid up. And so they had this little like phone inside the little area. This 10, 12-year-old kid picks up the phone, calls his mom, Mom, where are you? Mom, hurry up. You're 15 minutes late. I'm waiting for you. He hangs up the phone. The mom's like, sorry, sorry, Johnny. Okay. Boom, hangs up. And I'm like, okay, I could, that's a thing. Cool. Let's try. Oh no. The next day, next day, right? Mom's like five minutes late. I call my mom. Mom, where are you? Shut up your mouth. Shut, are you mad? Have you lost your mind? I'm like, no, I thought I could. I will, if when your dad comes home, I will just, he will just beat you. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry, mom. No, take it. Be an hour late. I don't care. If you don't have, I'll sleep here, mom. And, and so like, and so literally like, so we played by Nigerian rules. We had this thing called an itadi, itadi, which is like, and some people may, may know, the, the English word is like a switch, like a stick. Like if we met, if you messed uh-huh. up, mess up, you got to go outside. You got to get the itadi. Right. And that's like the switch and boom, boom. It's like you get it because you could. So Nigerian households, we played by Nigerian rules, but it also meant education was huge for right, us. Right. There was no messing around. Like A's, literally A's only, maybe a B. Right. I remember I got a C one time, like my junior year in, in high school. Mind you, I was getting scholarship offers to go play anywhere. It was my junior, senior year. I got a C in a class. My dad looks at me and says, son, if I see one more C on your report card, I'm taking you out of football. And you're like, okay. No, yeah, I was do- like, I was like, Dad, I have a full rock. What do you mean? I didn't, I didn't respond that oh, way, but in wow. my mind, I'm like, what do you mean? Right. I'm, take me out. I'm taking you out of football. And so literally like everything else straight Yeah, A's. yeah, me, yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so Nigerian like culture, Nigerian food, right? Like goat meat, Now, were, were you guys within, did you feel like you were the, the one Nigerian family in your community? No. Or were you amongst other that's yeah. great. No, John. So we, so it, it, that was a, that's a good, a good point. So all, every Nigerian somehow or another knows each other. At least they're, uh-huh. at least our parents do. Right. I was, well, you I was probably big, met at a wedding or something. Bingo, yeah. bingo at a wedding or at a, or at an event <laughs> that you didn't get invited to that I didn't get invited to, but they showed up anyways. <laughs> um, like they, everyone knows, dude, I was on the phone with my dad last night. I went to UT, I went to Texas and there's this guy who's trying to get recruited. And like my, some, one of my former teammates is a, is a coach there now. And he said, Hey man, there's this Nigerian kid. Can you give him a call? You know, he, your parents might know him. I was like, yeah, probably. I mean, a lot of Nigerian parents know each other. I call my dad. He's like, Oh, I know the father. I know the father. I know the, like, I see, he's like, I see him all the time. So like, so anyways, <laughs> like crazy. as kids, we would go every, every Saturday, once a, uh, once a month, we go to this thing called African Christian fellowship, which was like this, where all the Nigerians got together, parents, kids alike, and we'd just have food, have fellowship, hang out. It was like this community within a community. And how so, big would that be? Like how many people would be there? So probably it wasn't a lot of people. It was probably like 50 people, maybe, yeah, probably around 50 people. But okay. it was a consistent group. And, I'm, and it grew as people grew. And, but it had, they had it, in, it. I feel like they had that in every community. In our Dallas, Fort Worth metro community, I'm sure they had it. Then in Houston, in Austin, they have these communities. Even now they have these communities called, it's called Umu Ibo Unite, right? Umu means child. Ebo, so child of like the Ebo culture unite. So like where kids will get together and now it's obviously on Zoom, but you'll do events and it's like you'll throw parties together. You'll like, you know, do stuff together. And so yeah. t- so that's a that's kind of how we grew up. We grew up at our home with this Nigerian mindset. Then on these Saturdays, once or twice a, a month, we'd be with our other Nigerian friends. But then at church, my dad was a pastor. So at church, 
I went to a predominantly black church in South Dallas. So that was our Sundays and Wednesday nights. But then my school, I remember it was, remember it was a college prep, predominantly white school. Wow. So yeah. like, it was like white school, black church, Nigerian house and family. One of the things that John and I were talking about is how was, do you feel like there was whiplash because of that experience? Like were you, ha- how were you assimilating such different a house that's one vibe that's very, to me, countercultural of American culture? You know, to your point about calling the mom, <laughs> you know, it's it's run like that. Then you have school, which is predominantly white, and you have your um, African, you know, the the more um, Nigerian friend. I mean, how are you taking that in as a kid? Like, what is your experience like? Well, that was all I knew, and I didn't realize my experience was that much different until I started to get older, and I realized that I would I would style switch. And this is, this is actually, this is actually how I start. Like this actually, you know, my, like let the world see you, Mm -hmm. right. How to be real in a world full of fakes. I'd notice I would, I'm not going to say fake, but I would style switch. If I was code switch, if I happen to be in Nigeria, you know, you would, you may hear me talk like this, just, just small. (laughs) So they can understand me. Yes. No, I am. You know, but then if I'm like, if I'm from my church, Hey, what's good, man. Yeah. We about to go there. Yeah. We don't. And if I'm at school, yes, um, you know, four squared pi minus, you know, three <laughs> AB equals two, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I would notice that in myself. I, well, I didn't notice it, but that's just who and how I became. But then the, the issue arose. I think the word that people use for this is integrity, right? An integer, a whole, a whole mm. number. The issue arose because I didn't, it's hard to be whole that way. Mm. Example. University of Texas, right? Smart kids. So I got into the business honors program, like the top of the top, the best of the best with like a bunch of, I'll say this in the nicest way, nerds, right? Yeah. And I'm a nerd in a lot of ways, right? So I'm with them. But then also I'm on the football team, that, the team that literally had just won the national championship with a bunch of like, yeah, oh, they won in 05. I came in, they won, the, the game was in 06. I came in 07, right? So like the quarterback who was my quarterback, we were, he was 45 and three. My first three years, we lost like two games. Dang. Yeah, we lost, well, actually, one, two, three, I think four games my first three years. We were like 30-something. Oh we, went, we went to the national championship. So it was like, and it wasn't a, it was a bunch of, you know, non-nerds. Like, and about to kill somebody. Like, somebody had a, <laughs> like a, had a gun one time. I'm like, this is an actual gun gun? Like, I don't know if it was real or not, but it was a gun. <laughs> like, people were getting kicked Dang. out. My teammates were getting kicked out of school because they robbed people. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> like, bro, you have a full ride, but that's, what, that's how they grew up. Yeah, right? yeah. One of my t- one of my teammates is like, bro. If I didn't come to play football at Texas, I would have either been a drug dealer or a killer. Dang. And man. I'm like, okay, I know drug dealer, but what's a ki-? like? Yeah, drug dealer or a killer? Like a hire? Yes, like someone hired to kill people. Dang. Hmm. Oh wow. Okay. And we're, you know what I mean? So that so you got that, and you've got like. Well, you know, according to, you know, Newton's law, there's like a 37% chance at the angle of, so like, and I would fit into both somehow. And so one time I was going out, we went downtown in Austin, right? Sixth street, whatever. And I was with my teammates and I'm like, this is, you know, my team. And I run into one of the guys from my business honors school. And this guy's like, Sam, Sam, Hey man. And I'm like, I don't know who, you know, I was trying, like, there's no way you are here. Right. There's no way you're here. And like, I didn't like, I think I kind of like, in all reality, that was a time where he and I became friends. Cause I realized that you, you're, you don't have to just be one or the other. You mm. can be smart and cool. You can be cool and smart. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So like he and I became friends, but it was that point in a lot of moments during that time where I realized I would, if I was around my teammates, I would act one way around my friends, act a different way. And so I was, uh, I think the word is dis 
integrous, if I will. Like I thought yeah. I wasn't, I was divided. Yeah. You know? So how does, like, when you think about the NFL, because this is fascinating to me. I love this point that you've already brought up a couple of times and in the book, what the book's about, which we'll get to in a second, but I can't imagine what that would be like being in a culture that celebrates the NFL where it celebrates tough and strong and fight and grit and a sort of stereotypical sort of like Cro-Magnon thing, you know, and then you have this dilemma because you're this smart, you know, you, you, you have your experiences is a lot of things coming in and which I think some of the book is about, but, but I think you know, how did you deal with that? Like that had to be a dilemma because you're kind of, isn't, you're sort of, you know, that's not really celebrated in that culture. Like smart, like reading, you, you know, you're, you just graduated from the business, you know, the highest echelon at the college of business graduates, you know. So put it this way, the words, I don't think I ever heard the words kind, generous, mm. or caring during my entire nine-year NFL career. Wow. Really? Which is not necessarily, yeah, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing, right? So, but anyone who knows me, yes, there's an intelligence piece, but there's also this, like, super emotional, mm. like, loving human being. Like, I, smile. I, I Smile, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And that's me. But what's also me is this highly competitive, mm. uh, trained... Killer's not the right word because yeah, I got yeah, teammates yeah. who actually are killers, but yeah, uh, yeah. You know, or could have been killers. But but this guy, like my teammate, just to go back real quick, his dad was his dad Jeez. was the biggest drug dealer yeah. in town. From his, he was he was from a place called Dangerfield, Texas. Just to put it in perspective, wow. His dad was the biggest drug dealer in town. His uncle was the second biggest drug dealer in town. His dad or his uncle ratted out his dad, so his dad was in jail. His uncle was on the run. He saw his brother shot when he was at a at, outside of a barber shop when he was ten years old. Like this is. That's reality for a lot of people. Dang. And so, and so for me, um, like for me, it was just, it was a little bit difficult. I remember winning this, this, this academic Heisman trophy, right? It's called the Campbell trophy. And I won this award and with this trophy came a $25,000 postgraduate scholarship. Dang. And so mind you, but I wanted to go to the NFL, but I also wanted to learn. And so the, the scholarship had a two-year expiration date. So year one, I do my NFL thing, and I felt like it was pretty easy and had fun and enjoyed it and I earned a starting spot. Well, year two, I, needed to, I wanted to use this scholarship. So that's when I went back to, the, to get my MBA from Thunderbird. There was, and at that point, it was the number one rated international business MBA in the world. There were students Dang. from all around the country, all around the, the world coming to the school. So kids from... Uh, Israel were attending the school, kids from South Korea, kids from, from China, from Mexico. Like I had friends from all over. Where, and where so, is it? Is there, a- it's, it was in, it's in Arizona. It's okay. in Arizona in Glendale, okay. Arizona. I was playing for the Cardinals. Oh, wow. So it literally was a 37 minute drive from my practice facility. Right. And I knew the drive. Cause what I would do is as soon as our off season practice ended, it was like a four hour off season kind of mini workout and meeting. I would change real quick or oftentimes I wouldn't change because I didn't want my teammates to know where I was going no way. and I would dart over to class, right? Cause I didn't want people to see me in like a business suit or where are you going? What you doing? I'll show what you, they're like going to play video games. No offense, but it's what some people yeah. do. Yeah. And so, but I wanted to go to, and so f- for, I wanted just to go learn and I had a free scholarship and it was interesting and meeting people. And, mm. and so for me, for an entire off season, four or five months, 
And then following the next offseason, another four or five months, no one knew I was going back to get my MBA. I left Arizona. I played four years there. I went to the Chicago Bears and I signed with the Bears. I still had a, another like semester or two left. And so there was another period. Mind you, the schools in Arizona, I was living in Chicago. I would fly. I would go to my workout and miss Monday practice because so I'd be in class in Arizona. I work out Tuesday and Wednesday and maybe Thursday morning and then straight to the airport, fly back to Arizona Dang. to take my Thursday and Friday classes or something. I mean, it was like the craziest schedule for like three or four months. Finished that semester. And then during the season, I was right. taking classes online during my fifth year in the NFL. Nobody knew. Because I didn't want my teammates to think or my coaches to think that, oh, you don't care. You're not committed. But also at this point, I'd gotten married. Like that was like right. 2013, 14. So I was like, I'm not trying to be here forever. Let me get this thing done. And so I tell that story to say that those, that's me, but I was hiding. Mm. And it took so much work to hide, not to tell my teammates or friends, hey, this is what I'm doing or where I'm going. It took so much work. And yes, I did it, but I, I felt like I didn't even get a chance to celebrate it the way that I could have celebrated it or be able to help other people. Because my other teammates, I'm sure they wanted, some wanted to do the same thing, but they probably had that same fear that I did. So I wish I would have, in hindsight, kind of been more open. Dave. Johnny. I am so ready for a weekend at the beach. Mm. Sunset, sandy toes. You know I love sandy toes. Wait, uh, wait who is that? Uh, I've just been keeping in touch with an old friend of mine, Sandy oh, Toast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You should, well, you're talking about summer. There's really something magical about summer nights, am I right? Oh, Sitting yeah. around the fire. You know, and there's one thing that I don't miss, though. What is that? Cleaning up debris from that campfire. <laughs> oh, debris. Are you kidding me? <laughs> she if hasn't there's... called me in years. <laughs> years, John. <laughs> Good thing that they now make stoves and fire pits with a smokeless design, Dave. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Listen, telling me. keep listening though. Solo stove. They've invented the campfire of the future, but it's here now. No stinky clothes uh, or smoke in the eyes. Only ghost stories and good times. My favorite, Joni Mitchell. How did they do it, and what are they made of? Tell me the magic. Tell me the secret. Well, John. listen. Each wood-burning fire pit grill and camp stove is made from stainless steel and designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. Ooh. So there's very little smoke and hardly anything to clean up. No wow. charred chunks of wood, just pure white ash. Ooh, watch your language. It must be easy to get the fire and the party started too, John. <laughs> You're right, Dave. I bought the Ranger model okay. and it's compact and portable, a little fire pit. Okay. It's perfect for traveling to the beach or unpacking at a camp campsite on a cool summer night with solo stove there's no need to search your car high and low for matches or a lighter no stress over wet or rotted wood all you need are a few bits of starter and your fire is ablaze in minutes Ugh. now listen there are a million reasons to gather around a fire mm -hmm. right it's can, solo you, can you name three <laughs> um fire yeah fire pits and solo stoves. Oh, John. And listen, solo stove just took away any reason not to uh, gather around a fire. Those are three great reasons. And now you can get $10 off when you use the promo code DADVILLE at checkout. Just go to solostove.com. And remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code DADVILLE. That's DADVILLE at checkout. So I've got two questions. One is, what, as you're doing this, what is the drive to do it? Like, I'm is, a it, is it, is it because you're thinking like, I'm not going to be in the NFL for another 20 years. I got to think of post NFL. Is that the drive or is it your parents or is it just who you are? What? A combination. I mean, my parents weren't saying go back and get your MBA 
you know, and also that's one, but also I, I knew, I know the NFL and a lot of the way we say it, we say NFL stands for not for long, NFL, not for long. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I, I had that in my mind as well, but my the average like career is like three, it's like three, three years. years, three years, really? three. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The other kind of drive was that I wanted to, hmm. like, I really you just want, like I, you, you enjoyed it. Dude, I had $25,000 to go to school for free. And mind you, the NFL was paying, was paying another, like they, they give you like, there's a program where they'll, they'll reimburse you, tuition reimbursement. So whatever you go up to $20,000 per semester, Dang. they'll reimburse. So you can go to school for free. I'm like, school wow. for free? Like, why not? What else am I doing? Because yeah. my first off season, all I did was play, I played FIFA all day. I played FIFA and I yeah. went to go kick it at sushi restaurants. And that was cool, <laughs> but I said, there's so much more yeah. to be had. Well, if I can go get from the number one business school and do it for free, why not? Yeah. And so my drive was like, there was that. And there's also this competitive piece. Like I wanted to achieve, like I'm achievement oriented in a lot of ways, yeah. but also more than that, there was this, it, it just made sense. Right. I, there was an, it's an international business school. Like some of my best friends I met at that school, people from Jamaica, right. I got a friend, Candice Sparks. She's from Jamaica. <laughs> we still keep in touch. Right. <laughs> Tion Barnaby works for Western union. Wants me to come and speak at their organization. <laughs> like these are like my, fr- you know, like dude, your accents credit. are so on point. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a passion for, you know, like international stuff. So it just yeah. made sense. Right. And so for me saying no to that would have been saying no to myself. Yeah. Mm. So mm. then at what point, cause obviously, you know, you're describing yourself as being as code switching all the time and you're hiding this other part of yourself. That's so not you today. So at, at what point did it switch? At what point did it switch? So I'll answer that question. And I'll even go even deeper. So it was around like the 2018 season, my seventh year in the NFL, mind you, I was always trying to like trying to make it, you know what I mean? I was trying to make it in the NFL and I, and I, um, which can I ask what, when you say that, cause I think this, that this is a fascinating point. What does that mean? Like for you, what would it have meant to be like, okay, I've made it. Well, for me, what it would have meant would have been, so I think a for lot me of what it would see your career and be like, I mean, nine years is nothing to, cause especially when the average is three. Right. You know? But see, yeah, no, absolutely. But a lot of me, a lot of my, and that's the problem. I think when you're in the middle of things, you're like, well, I yeah. gotta do, I gotta go. Cause I, I was on, I was on a rookie contract my first four years and you always expect like that, you know, hundred million dollar contract or that 50 million. So I was going after that in my mind, that would have been making it. But instead of that, I had a, I broke my leg my third year. So I was kind of hobbling (laughs) through that a season or two. So I was on a lot of one year veteran minimum contracts, one year, prove it. They call it a prove it deal. If you show us, you can play, then we'll really pay you. And so what would have been making it for me would have been like a multi-year multi Gotcha. Multi-million dollar contract. Gotcha. And funny enough, 2018, going into that season, I earned that contract. I got a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. It was like, I've, and that, in my mind, that was making it. The problem was, and to your point, John, of code switching, the problem was I got there, right, by being, I was like, I mean, that year, like the 2017 season leading up to it, like I was a different animal. Like it was like, I didn't care who was in my, I was a different animal. And I got there and it was empty in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh-huh. It was like the only thing that really changed was that I just felt more pressure to perform mm. Right. because they paid me all this money. So now I, I, I got to do even better than what I did last year. And I know, you know, so, yeah. so that was the only thing that really changed. That was the only thing that really changed um, for me. But so, so going into that season, so made that I made it. 
I made it. Got the got the deal. Which how rare is it to even have that moment? Like we, Dave and I, uh, we did an interview with this author Harrison Scott Key, who has a couple books, and he talks a lot about how the thing about having a dream is you never know when it comes true. Like you never know when you really make it. And it's so rare that you even had that moment where you were like, no, I actually, this is the time where I actually felt like I finally got that moment. Ironically, it's like six years into your playing in the NFL where most people would be like, you don't feel like you've made it yet. And yeah. then you get this contract, you know, so that's kind of a rare, unique experience to even have that. It is, but the problem was, like, I didn't realize I had made it. The first day I stepped in is when I made it. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. That's when I, but I didn't think that way. It was right. always like, man, look at that guy's contract. Look at that guy. Maybe if I get right. this many sacks or that many. And then I actually got what people thought was good and what I, because I thought, believe people. And it wasn't, it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Right. So, like, I got the contract, and it just seemed like, it seemed as if my life was falling apart from the seams. Now, I don't think it really was, but it just seemed as if. It was like I, now I really felt like I had to perform and this pressure to really be on all the time and to be perfect and, you know, laugh and smile. And you're the nicest guy, but you're the toughest competitor and you're the fiercest, <laughs> but you're also so kind and loving and a great husband and a great dad. But then you're going to kill him. I'm like, ah, you know. Yeah. And finally, I was sitting down a week before training camp. I was sitting down with one of my friends who happened, I, I was driving, I was training in Cincinnati. So I was driving from Cincinnati to Chicago. One of my buddies who knew me from Arizona and we did some work together. He happened to be in Chicago. He was getting ready to leave that day. He texts me as I'm driving. Hey, how are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm struggling. Mm. Like I am struggling on every account of struggle, whether it's like as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a, as a friend, as a son, I can feel like I'm just even in interpersonally, I feel like I'm just struggling. Was that something that was hard for you to say? It was, but the time, like, talk about a God thing, right? Like, the, with those kids, like, is that your wife? Like, the time where he texted me, I needed someone. I needed mm, someone. I needed yeah. someone. Yeah. And and I just like, dude, I'm struggling. And wouldn't you know it, he, he lives in Arizona. He happened to be in Chicago getting ready to go take off, you know, his fight would lift in a few hours. And I was going to get there in like an hour or two. He said, if you have some time, I'd love to, let's, let's, let's grab a bite by the airport. And so we did. And usually I never would have told him mm. the, like how bad I really was doing. Mm. Cause he knew the smile. Mm. He knew the, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just started sharing with him like everything. Like it was like, dude, like almost, it seemed like ever since this contract and it wasn't necessarily the contract, but it really, I've heard people say that money is a magnifier, right? Or fame. It's a magnifier. It just exposes things. And so I just started sharing with him, like what I was going through. And he says, man, maybe. And I said, I said, I think I just need to get back to football in a week from now. We'll be back with the teammates, with the guys. I'll be focused on ball. Then everything will be okay. And he looked at me, he said, Sam, if that's how you feel right now, I'm, I'm actually concerned. I'm honestly concerned about what happens when you retire or when football is taken Jeez away from Louise. you. Yeah. Concerned about your marriage, concerned about your, your relationship with your kid. I'm concerned about everything. And um, what a good friend. What a good friend, right? And mm. mind you, like, as I'm sharing this with him, um, I'm, I, I start, I'm starting to cry. I don't even know where mm. these tears are coming from. I think sometimes you just feel all this weight. And I just, you know, and I just was like, and it wasn't like a little drop. It was like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like the, and, and as I'm crying, like, snot bubbles and all he looks at me and he says it's really nice to see you 
dang. Mm. And I'm like, what could this man be talking about? It's nice to see me. And he said, Sam, it's good to, good to know that you're human. He said, I've known you for like almost eight, nine years now. And the only side I've seen of you is this perfect put together, man, you know, good looking, happy all the time. Never, never sat. He said, it's good to know that you're human. Hmm. And so he said two things. He said, one, I'd recommend maybe talking to somebody, talking to a counselor or a therapist. He actually, my friend was in Chicago doing this thing called a life plan, which is kind of like this, you know, you meet with like a counselor guy and kind of go through like where you want to go. And he'd had some tragedy happen in his life, lost some loved ones. People were sick. And so he said, I recommend you go talk to this guy. Um, it could help, right? You never know. Um, and he said, and also you never know. Mind you, I told him a lot of like just hard, hard stuff. He said, maybe God is writing a book in your life and you may only be on chapter two. Man. And I'm like, what is this you talking about? So the very next week, so I kind of agreed that I would go the very next week. And mind you, my dad's a, my dad's a, a, a counselor. He's a, mm -hmm. a licensed therapist. A so I kind of know how to like maneuver and, and I'm an achiever. So, hey, I went to the counselor, check. I went once, I'm leaving. The very next week, that same day that we reported to training camp, we reported to training camp at like 6, you got to be there at like 4 p.m. at night. 10 a.m., I'm in a counselor's office sitting down with this dude. And he asked me to share my story. I start sharing with him all this that I've done and where I'm doing and what I'm confused. And, and then he stops me, he says, Sam, before we get any, go any further, I have a simple question for you. He said, what do you do when you get angry? And I just broke down and started to cry. Dang. And as I'm crying once again, and I'm like, once again, it wasn't the pretty cry. It was the ugly, <laughs> like, <gasps> he says, Sam, I'm, he says, it's nice to see you, Sam. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, y'all must have, is this a plan? It's like, am I being punked? Then he's, he's, he stops, he says, and oh, by the way, get used to hearing that. He recommended after a while, after a little bit of time there, he says, I recommend maybe start journaling. I don't know if you write, but start to write a little bit. Just write. Um, I don't know what kind of music you listen to, if you even listen to music, but try to listen to some music. And then he said, get used to hearing that. And so that night I go to training camp. I check in, we do our little team meeting. I go to my dorm and I throw on some music and I start to write. And as I'm listening to this music and it was like, there were like songs about God's love, right? And it's forgiveness. And I'm just writing and I'm crying and I'm writing, and I'm crying. I'll call my friend. I'm like, dude, what, it, what, it, like, what? I don't understand what is going on. And I, I think I said something like, dude, why does God love me so much? Hmm. Like, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. Why does he love, it doesn't, no, I don't deserve, like, why does he and we have our, we have our, like, it's our conditioning test, our team run. I do the team run. We finish that up and go to the locker room. Everyone kind of showered. They went to go get some food. And I just sat there. I just sat there because I was, I mean, I just, I don't, I just, it was a lot going on. I just sat there. And one of my teammates, a guy named Nick Williams, who I just, he was new to the team. He came and he saw me sitting there. And he says, hey, Acho, or they call me Ach. Hey, Ach, are you good? And once again, usually I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just a long day. I look at this dude. I said, man, I'm not. Mm. I'm not, man. I'm, I'm not. And he said, man, I don't know what you got going on, but you got to let that out. Wow. Whatever it is, let it out. I kind of looked to my left, looked to my right. At that point, a lot of the, the guys had already left, but this guy was here. And just little by little, like the floodgates start to open. 
like the tears start to drop and drop and drop. And now they're coming more and it's like coming. Another one of my teammates walked in, a guy named Danny Trevathan, inside linebacker for the Bears. He sees, he walks in, he sees me, and immediately he goes to the, to the, like the speaker, like the boom box, where usually it's like blasting like, you know, country music or rap music or whatever, just blasting something. And he changes the playlist. And for whatever reason, it happened to be all the same songs I was listening to the night before, songs about God's love for me. His kind, I mean, it literally, I'm like, there's no, like, what the heck is happening? And now, as you can imagine, the tears start coming even more. I'm not making this up, mm-hmm. right? The tears start coming even more. And this dude, Danny Trevathan, looks at me and says, hey, Ach, it's good to see you, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? Like, and so I'm like, what is this dude talking about? Another teammate walks in. This guy, one of my teammates, uh, uh, Akeem Hicks, 6'6", 350. He had seen me. And, you know, he, his way to dissolve situations, make a little joke, like, oh, man, what's going on, right? And usually if I see someone like that come in who's going to laugh or joke, I'll just cover it yep. up. It's a cold switch. Um, but this time I didn't. This time I didn't. And he's like, oh, what's going on here? Like, oh, emergency. Emer-, like, kind of like trying to make a joke. I stood up and I looked at him. I said, bro, I never would have showed you this side of me. He said, I, I said, I never would have shown you this side of me. And he looks at me in like just ugly cry. And he says, honestly, bro, I probably, I probably gave you a reason not to. I never gave you a reason to, sh- to show me this side of you. And like we hug, we sit down and we just Jeez. like chop it up for another like hour or two. Like one of the, at one point, one of them tried to get up and leave. I said, nope, sit down. You're, <laughs> you're here with me for the long haul. <laughs> and so like that was the moment, John, where I realized that it was okay to be me. Mm, right. It was okay to be me. And little, little would you know, and I can get into more detail later, or it's, it's also I talk about in the book, but little did, you, little did we know that season the Bears would go on to have their best season in the last 10 years, would be 12 and four, go to the playoffs. All those guys would have Pro Bowl years, play better than they ever had because I committed to being me. It wasn't about my on-the-field play. It was about the kind, the generous, the loving, the caring. It was that guy that showed up that helped elevate me and my teammates and my friends and those around me. Man. Wow. And then, so was the culture in, in the locker room from, from then on just completely different? Did you, did you notice everyone else kind of like letting their guards down as well? Yes and no. Funny enough, like, <laughs> once again, like the way God works, we had a brand new coach that year, a guy named mm-hmm. Matt Nagy. And the years before we were you know, struggling as a team, well, this new coach brought in a new culture. And his, his team motto for the whole year was two words. His motto for the team was, was be you. Everybody, I want you, just, just, I don't care. He came in like meeting number one. Hey, I'm Matt Nagy, blah, blah, blah. Guys, I don't care what you do off the field, on the field, in the community, be you. And so like, that was the same season where I was starting to be me. And so like, there were guys like, and, and just put yourself in NFL locker room for a second. Like some guys love golfing. Some guys love hunting. Some guys love making rap music, whatever. But you got coaches who are like, it's just football, football, football. And so years past, some of these same guys who would golf all the time or hunt or whatever, they would get chastised, made fun of, laughed at, looked down upon for their off-the-field activities. This coach said, man, if you love golfing, golf. Be the best golfer ever. Like, do it. 
be you. But it was our entire team's culture that embraced this idea of being you and more than that, of letting the world see you. Because when you do, three things happen. Number one, God gets the glory. Hmm. Number two, the people around you benefit. And number three, the world around you thrives. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's a good word. Jeez. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, uh, is, um, whenever we come together sharing our strengths, it breeds competition. But whenever we come together sharing our weaknesses, it breeds community. Hmm. And I think there's something really powerful about a culture where that is paramount. And even that Mm -hmm. moment you talk about when you're sitting with your guys and there's this really vulnerable thing, just the power that they entered that with you, that even when Hakeem walked in and sort of was like, Hey, try to make it light. That mood changed in him to be like, Oh no, that's this. I see you're being vulnerable. I'm going to meet you there. Like I can do that too. And all of a sudden there's this communion, there's this bond, there's this togetherness. And I can't imagine how powerful that would be for a team, you know, especially big dudes. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, a bunch of us singer songwriters are like, man, I'm feeling something. I'm like, Tell me about it. What is that? Let's write about it. <laughs> right. What's the title? What's the mood? Is it a minor or major? Um, <laughs> and, and some of the, you know, that's what's so cool about the book that I think is, is really powerful is that thing that you're saying, which is story is so powerful, but you know, how we hide and we don't let people see who we are. And, and, um, and you know, John and I were talking about this too, kind of transitioning to your kids and your family and you being a dad, how, how do you foster that with your kids? Like, what does that look like with, you know, your little three crazies and you're going, you know, you're doing your work, but then how is that, what does it look like to, to parent that, to sort of lead your family in that with your kids, you know? How old are your kids? I have a six-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, another two-year-old son. So six, okay. four, and two. So they're at a very impressionable age. Right. I learned, like, I learned how to say I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I learned how to say I'm sorry. And, but before you can say you're sorry, you have to be able to like, name your emotions. Hmm. So I've learned and I'm learning how to name my emotions. Man, that really hurt me. Hmm. I mean, I feel ashamed right now or sad or angry. Like I'm learning that. Before that, bro, I would just snap. Like I would, and not like snap, like, oh, you know, Rothgar, like Thor or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know where I pulled out Rothgar. That's from my respect, seventh grade respect. teacher, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Roselle. <laughs> Shout out. Anyways, um, no, but it was like, I would just get so angry and I would try to bottle up and like, leave me alone. Like, don't talk to me. Ah. And so I think I communicate best by telling stories. So I'm, I'm going to share this story. Mm-hmm. So probably two years ago or so, the 2018 season, the season I was injured, still trying to figure out some of this stuff. And. Um, with my emotions and seeing this counselor, my son and I were watching a football game. It's the Dolphins versus the Bears, and he, he wanted the, the Dolphins to win. I wanted the Bears to win. It went to double or it went to overtime, and I think the Bears won in overtime. And, you know, we were kind of watching, and he was like, oh, really into it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Bears won, whatever, kind of one of those things. And he storms upstairs, and he walks upstairs. He says, nobody loves me. Right. Nobody. Lo- and I, mind you, like, I'm thinking, like, nobody loves you. Like, what is that? What you? you know, because in my mind, I'm like, if, if someone else hears this, I'm going to look like a bad dad. Hmm. So I look at him. And I say, hey, don't you ever say something stupid like that again? That's what I said. Hmm. And he looks at me. I could tell something inside of him, like, went away at that moment. Hmm. Looks at me, goes up, nods his head, goes upstairs. And I'm like, am I kind of come back down? No, knew I had done something wrong, but I was like, you know, nobody loves me. What does this guy think? And 
that was on a Sunday, right? Games on Sunday. Well, the next day I went to my counselor, right? Mondays were my count. Every Monday I was going to counseling. And I shared with him a little bit about what happened. And one way or another, the counselor said, hey, it wouldn't hurt to apologize for what you said. Because you know what? Maybe you had that done to you or you felt that ways at times. So now you're dupe passing it on to other people. So I came home that night. We had, you know, went over to some friend's house for a dinner or something. We came back and I found Caleb, my son, by himself. I went up and sat next to him and I said, hey, Caleb, he said, yes, daddy. I said, remember that time, remember yesterday after the game where you went upstairs and I said, and daddy said, don't you ever say something stupid like that again? He nodded at me, said, yes, daddy, I remember. I said, Caleb, I'm really sorry for saying, I said, daddy's really sorry for saying that. He looks at me, he says, he says, daddy, thank you for saying sorry because that really hurt my feelings. Wow. That was the moment when I realized how important it is that I needed to get myself together. Mm. I needed to figure out what emotions were running wild in me and how to tame them, right? As men, we all want to tame things, whether it's, like you said, writing a song, tackling a, a football player, leading a business, like what we want to tame things as dads. We want to lead our kids and our wives. We want to do these things well, but you can't tame something until you name something. Hmm. Can't tame it until you name it. And so by literally just naming our emotions as men, you have a better grasp of it. You can hold it. You can control it. You can tame it. You can't tame it until you name it. So I'm learning how to name my emotions and be honest and vulnerable, vulnerable with my kids. Hey, daddy's scared right now. Mm. Oh, wow, daddy, I'm scared too. Mm. Okay, so <clears throat> two more things and then we'll release you back to your family. Your wonderful braided hair. And um, two things that I, I think I, I think we'd be really, uh, I would regret not asking you because you've spoken um, to both of these things. One, you know, I, I, I find this is a conversation I have a lot. Um, John and I talk a lot about this. My friends, you know, here in Nashville who are in, you know, sort of in similar seasons where you've, is this success piece? which you spoke to. And I had this conversation literally yesterday with a friend of mine on the phone and she was talking about another friend of ours. Um, and just saying, and this is a conversation that I feel like I have a lot. So many of my friends who are having, they're getting that thing they wanted. They're like, I came to Nashville. I hustled. I've finally gotten the big record deal. I finally had the hit single. I finally got the production deal I wanted with these artists I've always loved. Um, you know, name it. And then there comes like a windfall of cash. And all of a sudden you're thinking like, dude, this is what I, this is it. Um, almost, almost a hundred percent of my friends who I've said, man, you're crushing it. Like this, it's happening. How are you feeling? It's almost a hundred percent of the time they say they're miserable. It's really profound to me. And this conversation yesterday was another reminder of this dilemma we all have, which is like, no, but you don't understand. Like for me, I, I really will be happy and I'll be. But you said something that I think is so articulate, which is you get the thing. But what we don't see coming is this stress. You know, you may get the thing, you may get the job, you may write the song it may do the thing. But what follows is this thing that we can't see coming, which is like. Yeah, you got the thing, but now everybody's looking at you like you got the thing. And so 
which I love that you said that because I'm so passionate about this because I see this so much in our industry and I can't imagine what it would be like in the NFL because I think it's even more of a pressure cooker. Can you, can you like, what is the thing you might have said to yourself or you would say to younger people or even people, forget it, could be 50 and like, no, I know the new thing I got to get that's going to make me feel validated, make me feel great. Like, what would you say to that thing in you? that's 21 and, and, you know, full of, you know, <laughs> you know, all of that energy now haven't been on the other side of that, you know, wh- what's the word there? You already have what you've been looking for. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I'll say it another way. Stop looking for what you already have. Yeah. For me, I was looking for to feel whole. Hmm. Deeper, more than acceptance, more than appreciation, a little bit more than affirmation, I was looking to feel whole. Mm. And just like all those years from when I was 15 years old, look, oh man, maybe there's some, I already had everything I was looking for. My, it, when a, in a wife, 15 years old, my wife was there. <laughs> and I'm over here like, oh man, I got this girl, I could go this girl, I could do that, I could... I already had everything I've been looking for. I just need to open up my eyes and see it. Hmm. We want success. We think success will fill us. We want money. We think money will fill us. We want fame. We want the song. We want to give back. and We think it'll fill us. We already have Hmm. everything we've been looking for. And I believe that we have that in Jesus. Hmm. I really do because I believe that we serve a God who who already sees us and loves us deeply Mm. and knows us in our pains and in our fears and our doubts and in our shame. I believe he sees all of that. Whatever you're looking for, God's already given it to you. Mm. We just need to slow down and see it. man. And -hmm. then after we see it, we need to accept it. Mm. Because people won't tell you that when you do get the record deal, you'll feel empty. Yeah. Right. People won't tell you when you do win the Super Bowl, you will feel empty. They won't mm. tell you that. They'll tell you just get it and get it. Mm. Okay, second, and, and this is the last one, and then we've got two more that, that are quick and fun finish-ups. I just, I'm dying to know this because I think this is something, especially for the dads that listen and the moms out there too or just anybody. Can you sort of give, this is a super left-hand term, but again, I just feel like having you on here, this is a great chance for you to speak to this. How do you think about sports, culture, and kids? Because this is, as dads especially, I had this conversation, my kid, my oldest son, Ben, who's nine, was at soccer practice last night. And me and two other dads are talking about this at the practice. Because now it's like there's travel teams and there's, you know, which you know that world really well. Having been through it, having do it, you're, you know, you're playing football at the professional level. You've done it for a while. How do you think about that? And, and, and could you give any wisdom to those of us who are thinking about it now who hadn't been through that, seen the things you've seen? How is it affecting what, how you want to take your kids into that if they do it? You know what I mean? What's your, what are your thoughts on that? I, I appreciated my parents' approach because I know so many people who started off super young at, at, as a kid, like three, four, five years old. I'm training every day and I'm grinding. You're going to be the next X. And at 12 and 14 years old, they're no longer doing the things that they love because they just feel burnt out. Yeah. With my parents, I love how you, you know, we talked about earlier, John and Dave, about how like football in Nigeria is, is soccer. 
So my first sport was soccer. My parents just mm-hmm. put me and my brother in soccer to get us out the house. My brother was breaking things, like, just go outside, right? And so we were doing <laughs> soccer, and we were doing basketball. And then we did baseball for a year. We were horrible at it, right? But we tried it out. Then we w- went to track and field, and we did football. And then we did, you know, we were still doing basketball and, like, handball. Like, just just try it out. See what you like. And then God opened up, opened up the door for football to where I started getting scholarships. It wasn't like my parents' plan was never, mm-hmm. you're going to go to the NFL, for them, it was always Ivy League. It was Harvard, Stanford. It was somewhere. Uh, it was never you're going to the NFL. But the fact is they, they showed up. No matter what it was, they showed up. They didn't force us. I never remember feeling forced. I got to go here. I got to go there. But they showed up. And also, they didn't let me quit is the other side too, right? I remember my first year playing football. I hated it. I was playing offensive line. It was our team. We were the Dolphins, which still now, is they were bad. Um, and, like, I didn't want to go and do the stuff. But, but – Every, every day my parents took me because I wanted to do it, so you're going to do it. And so I think the biggest thing is, like, finding the things your kids love instead of putting your passions on them. One of my best friends, that same dude who told me to go see the counselor who said, maybe God's writing a book, and fast forward, the book is here. Um, he has four daughters. And each and every – and he's brilliant. And his wife is beautiful and brilliant. And each and every one of his daughters has a different and unique skill set that he's taken the time to see and to draw out. It wasn't a cookie cutter model. One of his daughters is, is, is um, you know, fluent in, in, in Mandarin and maybe even Jeez. Cantonese as well. Uh, she's also brilliant. She went to the school in China for a bit because, you know, won this award. Uh, thousands of applicants. She won, was the one. She did that. Another one is this artist. And she loves drawing and painting and pictures. Since she's been six, seven years old, she's been drawing. They put her pictures on the wall in their house. Another one's a sports, like, volleyball queen, right? She's amazing at volleyball. Another one is, is uh, emo's not the best word, but she's, like, more of, like, <laughs> emotionally, like, whatever. And, like, she's still figuring out. Each and every one of his daughters have a different skill set. He spent his life seeing those skills and just pushing them and drawing them out. So mm. that's what I would say. Mm. Um, because otherwise it's going to be a rat race. I got to get my son into this and that. And God's the one. Um, there's a verse in Psalms 24.1. It says, the earth, the, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Mm. Another version says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. Yeah. So, like, if God wants that door to open, and I wish I had time to tell the football story, how I, how I even got to the NFL. Um, but if, y'all wanna, if anybody wants to, y'all just go get the book. And it's, in, it's chapter, like, 12 or so, 13. If, if God wants a door to open... He will open it. Man, that's a good Just word. Just continue yeah. to honor him. Man, that's a good word. Okay, so we have these two questions that we end every interview with. So get ready. They're super easy. What is the one thing that you want your kids to know? That daddy loves them. Mm. And more than that, like that God loves them. I really mm. want them to know that because daddy's not perfect, you know, but I want them to know that like God loves you and he's with you. You don't have to be afraid. Like no matter what daddy or mommy says or does... God loves you and God is with you. I love that. Okay, second question. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Mm, Dad loved me well. Mm. I love that. That's what I want everybody to say at my funeral. I I did one of those life plans with my friend talked about, like my, um, I think it's called the Opius Gloria or something like that. But like my theme of life that I want people to say is that Sam loved me well. Hmm. God loved that. Man, that's beautiful. Sam, you're the man. Everybody that's listening, the book is called Let the World See You. What a great, thank you for, you know, I think one of the biggest things I'm going to take away from this is just how vulnerable you all 
were wool, vulnerable in your wool. And I really appreciate that. I think there's so much power in it and uh, so many lessons learned. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. No, thank you all. I appreciate y'all. This is a blast. Deadly.